Today's episode is with my good friend Xander Clark, who identifies himself as a recovering drug addict. Xander tells his story of leaving to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, only to come home early after a couple of months due to a stomach wound and how that led him to a dependency on opiates. Today we address the commonly asked questions of, how do you know if you're an addict? And, why continue to call yourself an addict once you've found recovery? All right, super, super excited. A little different episode today. I'm speaking to one of my good friends here in recovery. Corinne's out at a retreat this morning. So I've got my buddy Xander here. What's up, guys? Xander is the man. You're the man, Neil. (laughs) One of my good friends. We're in recovery together. We're on a meeting together in Orange County, Southern California. But Xander, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just who are you and and what do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my name's Xander. I'm a drug addict. I was born and raised here in, in Orange County. Grew up a member of the church. I was kind of a, a little bit of a rebellious kid growing up, but still my family was very active. And, you know, I went up through all the quorums and, and young men's and had the opportunity to go. My brother served a mission in Chile. Now the opportunity to go pick my brother up from his mission and spend time down there. His mission president is actually Brad Wilcox. So I got to spend some time down there and uh, hang out with President Wilcox. And that I was in high school at that time. I think I was going into my senior year. And so that like lit a desire in me to go serve a mission. I already had a desire, but this was like, this kind of solidified it. And so I really wanted to kind of clean up my act and qualify and be ready and worthy to go. So I did so and got called to serve on a mission in Taiwan and worked really hard to get out, went out to the MTC, was really prepared to go. And in my first, you know, six weeks into my MTC experience, I had this crazy stomach pain and I didn't know if it was like, like for those of you who've been in the MTC, like foods, you know, can be kind of crazy. I didn't know if, <laughs> I didn't know if it was like it's a little too much cereal or yeah, whatever, but yeah, exactly. So I didn't know if I just had stomach issues or what, but it progressed and they ended up having me go get checked out and I ended up having this hernia, which wasn't a big deal, but they weren't going to send me down to Taiwan before getting it fixed, right? It just wasn't a smart thing to do. So we scheduled the surgery, went in, had the surgery. That's the first time I've ever had, outside of like my wisdom teeth, that's the first time I ever had surgery. Had it, you know, stayed out on my mission, was recovering and was taking pain meds, right? No big deal. At that point, pain medicine for me was, was just a I didn't, I didn't look at it any other differently than I would look at Tylenol, you know, like I yeah. didn't have a affinity towards it. And then three weeks, you know, after that, I woke up one morning and there was like stomach fluid on my bunk from my surgery site. I went to the doctor, they put me on antibiotics, just had this bad infection, just continued to stay out. I had gotten off pain medicine at that point and was just finishing my MTC experience. And then when it was time for me to go to leave the MTC, when you go, when you get called the Taiwan, at least back in the day, you were in the MTC for 12 weeks. So it, it's a long time. Jeez. It's time for me to go. I have to get cleared to go. My wound is still having, it's still infected, still having issues, right? So they say, you're not cleared to go. We're going to have you serve in the Utah Provo mission for six weeks, and then we'll evaluate you. And if you're good, you'll go to Taiwan. My first day, you know, I watch all of my missionary companions from my district. They go to leave to the airport to head to Taiwan. And I get picked up just locally right there in Provo, just to head over, meet my mission president, meet my companions. And we go to the park and it's P-Day. So the guys are playing football. I'm really, really not feeling good. And like, I grew up playing football down here. Love, like I, Neil knows, like I am love football, right? So, you know, Chiefs are a staple. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Anyways, I, I was like, you know what, guys, I'm just going to sit out over here under the tree in the shade and just, I I was feeling horrible, but I didn't want to look like a pansy, you know, to my companions. I was in a, in a threesome or whatever. It just continued, progressively got worse. And like, I literally felt like I was going to pass out. But I, once again, I didn't want to stop the football game because I didn't want to be that guy that like made the teams uneven and I'm the new kid with the problem. You know what I'm saying? So I just like, I, I literally said a prayer and was like, heavenly father, like, 
I'm not doing good. Like, can you sit? Cause I'm probably, I don't know, 80, hundred yards away from where they're playing just under like in a lane down underneath a tree. And one of my, I asked heavenly father, like, please send somebody over. Like I need help. And like one of my companions ran over, like, I'm not kidding. Like within probably a minute. Crazy. I know. He's like, Hey man, he's like, how you doing? And like, before I even say anything, he's like, you don't look so good. He's like, we, we should probably get you some help. They drove me actually back to the MTC of all places. And like they, they, they called the MTC doc who had been kind of seeing me. And he came out and met us at the red curb. And he immediately said, take him to the hospital, take him to the hospital. Jeez. So went to the hospital. My white blood cell count was like four times what it was supposed to be. They did like an immediate surgery to open up my wound because my body had rejected, like from the inside was all infected, rejected the mesh or whatever it was. So they opened it up sent me back to the MTC and then they're like, okay, we got to meet and figure out what to do with you. Right. Like at this point, like I'm just a burden. At least that's how I feel. And quite frankly, it's true. They decided it was best for me to go home, recover from my surgery because they left that hole open in my stomach. They didn't close it back up and then see what happens from there. So I go home, I fly, fly into Orange County airport. And like, it was just like this incredible low experience for me right like you always imagine coming home from a mission and you got the banner you know yeah, this is what we've all like seen totally. ten thousand times what i what i was there for for my brother and all my you know what you i'm saying salt lake city airport and you walk in yeah. on a missionary cut you know homecoming day you sell the missionaries you see the signs you totally see the families. you go to the salt lake city airport any day and you see that like at some point <laughs> they had to create a special room i know for the missionaries so it's a big deal big usually deal. typically but that wasn't no, so what my experience, saw. like I've come down the escalator, there's there's no banners. My parents were, I didn't have a cell phone because I was on a mission. So my parents were, like circling the airport looking for me. And like in that moment, I just really felt like I failed myself, failed my family and failed God, right? And it was just this ultimate low moment. So my parents picked me up and we go home and literally... The next either day or yeah, I think it was the next day my my stake president came over to release me. It's just once again, I was just in this really, really low place. Like you just yeah. this wasn't how I envisioned things, right? You'd you don't go on a mission expecting this kind of stuff to happen. And so with this hole in my stomach, I'm still taking pain meds. Every single day, uh, uh, one of the guys in our stake who was a former bishop of mine, he's a surgeon, he'd come over to my house and he'd repack that wound with the dressing. He'd call me and say, hey, I'm coming over, take a couple pain pills because it was painful. painful process. They had to take, gotta, like, I don't want to be too graphic for the people on the, you know, on the call, but bottom line, when they take that dressing out, it's like, it's like attached kind of to your skin on the inside. So it's like, tear. it feels horrible, right? Yeah. So I just take the pain medicine, heat repack it. And then I went to church for the first time on Sunday and felt. There's a lot of, well, I think everybody was well-meaning. Hey, what's going on? When you going totally. back? You know, I don't. But in your head, when that happens, you feel like you're just, everybody's looking at you. Like, why is Xander home? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think, sure that there were some people, but I think the majority were just well-meaning people who were like, what's going on? Yeah, because right? that's the expectation. Like, in the, if you're not a member of our church, like, you get called on these missions, you, you obviously you sign up for it. Yep. And then kind of the implication is, is like, hey, we'll see you in two years. Like, exactly. you're going to go out, you go to the MTC, you got this training period. And then you go out on your mission for, for two years, you, you have this great experience and then you come home and you share how awesome it was and these lives that were impacted. And that's kind of what the pattern that you yeah. often see in the church. But a lot of times it it's different than totally. that. And, and people don't have that experience yeah. when someone comes home early or whatnot. Like it, there can be different, a lot of different emotions or a lot of different thoughts. On yeah. And, and leading up to it. You have your farewell and you have your parties like and people come off. and cut your, cut you checks because you got to pay for your mission. And so, so totally. there's just this big culture part of it. Right. Yeah. And I think the church has done a good job kind of getting away from it. But back then I had a couple buddies who had come home early for, I think one was for anxiety. The other one might've been for a different reason, but it was very, very, very uncommon. Yeah. Right. I think maybe today that there's been enough of it where 
people were more accepting, but then it was just, I don't know if taboo is the right word. It just, you didn't see it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with COVID too, like a lot that upheaval through a lot of missionary work in general, tons of, they had to send people home. Like it's, it's a different ball game then. But I remember for my farewell, like sending out invitations, like to people, I'm like, Hey dude, come to this. Like it was just you. Like it was such a big thing. Which I think is better now. They've changed a lot of that right. to just be a little more mellow. But yeah, they still celebrate the kids, and they should. It's a it's a big deal. But I it think, is. I think a part of it was just this was happening. The culture, pe- yeah, the it. cultural part was happening, and sometimes kids were coming home. And once again, there's well-meaning people asking me what's going on. I've got this hole in my stomach. I developed colitis from the all the because I was I've been on antibiotics for so long, so I was a mess. So not only that. I'm feeling once again, like just an ultimate failure. And so when I take these pain pills, I notice not only is my pain getting masked and I'm not, I'm not in so much physical pain, but like mentally and emotionally, like that is, I'm getting my brain, my head, all those feelings are just getting silenced. Right. Totally. Next thing I know, like I, it starts progressing and I'm taking pain pills to go to church, to feel comfortable sitting in church, not necessarily physically, but more mentally and emotionally, right? That kind of started and also coming home, there was like a bunch of, it's like a whole family thing. Like there was, a, it was a weird dynamic with my parents. My parents weren't exact, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, and yeah. so it just, things at home weren't going we're super, off we're and... off. I just really, these pain pills kind of became my solution. I mean, not kind of, they, they absolutely, they, they became my solution of just, it's how I coped with it until finally I got to a point where like my wounded healed. Right. Yeah. But I was still taking pain pills. And at that point I, I, I'd really gotten resentful towards God. I'd gotten resentful towards the church. And like, I remember literally like having this almost like, I remember this, like I, I had this experience where I was like, I turned my life over to God and this is what happened. I'm taking my life back now, right? Like <laughs> I'm taking back control taking of my back. life, right? I went down that path and like you fast forward, like my my like next thing I know, I'm calling kids from high school who I knew were like into pills in high school and I'm because the doctors like I didn't no longer had a reason to see a doctor and get pills, right? So now I had to go get pills off the street and kind of went down that path and then started trying bigger pills like oxycontin was the thing back then right my addiction just went down this crazy path until i went headfirst in the sand i'm bodyboarding at a local beach here in orange county and i went headfirst sand bolt four discs in my neck and i've got my willy wonka is what i call it right my golden your, ticket your pass there's my get. pass right i got the What's lifetime pass to go get whatever i want that just took my addiction to a whole nether level right and I inevitably, like over a five-year period, became, I ended up at a $500 a day opiate habit. Most of that I was able to get just like doctor shopping, ended up on DEA watch lists. But I would still have to go get some off the streets because even the crazy amounts I could get for doctors, like there was never enough. It was just never enough, right? I became like a shell of a person. I'd burned all my relationships. My family didn't want to be around me. I'd walked away from the church and, um, my brother met this guy on a river trip at the young single adult ward. And this guy was investigating this, the church and he was in recovery. His name's Nash. And this dude, my brother's helping to move one day after this river trip and they stopped by the house. And I literally was like coming out of the bathroom from using drugs or whatever. Right. And this guy comes comes out and this this whole time just i think it's important to know like i always knew the church was true i just was so you never lost your i never lost my testimony i just even though you might have felt angry at god that was it i was angry at god i hated the culture right i didn't want to go to church because of the culture and and i was still i had a lot of resentments towards heavenly father right and some ecclesiastical leaders like that were well-meaning but things were said and i just took offense to everything right which I don't blame anybody. I was just me in the headspace that I was in. Yeah. This guy comes to my house and I just finished up using drugs. He comes in, introduce himself. And at this point, I just, I was miserable. You know what I mean? 
I was, I was miserable. I like, didn't want to be alive anymore. Like I didn't have the guts to kill myself, but I, and I, to be honest, I was, I'm really surprised I was still alive. Like I was taking so much, so many opiates that even my friends who I used to do opiates with were like, dude, (laughs) what's happening? Like, this is crazy. Like the guy who introduced me to like the crazy opiates was like, Xander, like this is, this is on a whole nother level, right? I get introduced to Nash. Nash is investigating the church. He he sits me down, introduced me to some of his buddies in AA. I start going to AA meetings. I'm like, all right, I can do this. Like I can go to AA. And because remember, I still had resentment towards God. And so yeah. I'm like, all right, well, these people are getting sober and you know, it's not the church. So I can go do this. And then like I look at the steps on the wall in AA and it's like, it's still based upon a higher power, right? And I was like, all right, well, maybe like I'll change my view of God. He won't be, he won't be this guy that's mad at me for not finishing my mission or he won't be this, you know, whatever things that I'd built up in my head. So that's what I did. So I started going to AA and I pick up 30 days of sobriety, relapse, 60 days of sobriety, relapse, 90 days, relapse. I just was on this chronic relapse thing. Couldn't stop relapsing. Couldn't get long-term sobriety, but was getting a lot of exposure to AA, right? Until finally, like, and, and meanwhile, the cool part of the story is while he's, he's kind of walking me through the steps and sponsoring me, I'm sitting in on his missionary lessons. That's so cool. It was, it was really cool. So ultimately that my neck was still giving me a lot of issues from that accident, right? I was in physical pain, but I now was, my relationship with pain meds was no, could, couldn't be healthy. Like it didn't exist. I ended up getting my neck fused in 2012 and that, and then I got so, and that was like maybe September. And then my sobriety date is December 12th, 2012. So after that fusion and kind of getting my neck in a, not a perfect place, obviously, but in a good place with pain. Cause I had been getting epidurals every three months and it was just a nightmare. So once I finally got that done is when I got sober in, in, in 2012 and my sponsor Nash, he ended up joining the church. Super cool story. When he joined the church, he stopped looking at pornography and like realized so cool. that this girl that he had dated previously who had moved back to Brazil, he's like, I'm supposed to marry that girl. But since they were, when they were dating, he was viewing pornography and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. He literally like sends her an email and is like, I joined the, I joined the Mormon <laughs> church. I stopped looking at pornography and so God's cool. telling me that you're the one I'm supposed to marry. So she ends up in Brazil independently getting baptized in wow. Brazil. She flies out here. They get engaged. They end up getting married and sealed in the temple. He's a legend. Like I'm, I have three kids and my youngest son is named after him. I probably skipped some of my story, but but that's like the 30,000 foot view is bottom line. Like I was really angry at God. Maybe that's the part I skipped is the big part for me is I had to work through that resentment towards Heavenly Father. And AA for me was a big stepping stone when like yeah. I created this new version of new version. I'm putting quotes up of Heavenly Father and like that he was all loving and he didn't judge me for the mission and all this kind of stuff. And really Ultimately, it was the that same Heavenly God. Father, right? It was the same <laughs> like, Heavenly Father. Oh, that actually yeah. is. Yeah, and, and, and once like, my head got clear, I realized that and, and started coming back to church and I bought all in and got qualified to go to the temple and started attending the temple like literally weekly, right? Started going to meetings in the beginning like two times a day because my, my disease was just so strong and attending institute, going on splits with the mission. I just literally bought, all, I was a single guy. Being a single guy trying to overcome an opiate addiction and stay qualified to go into the temple, like that, you got to put tough. in that, you got to put gotta in a, lot a lot of spiritual work. work. Right. And so I did. Now, you know, and then I ended up going out to school and met my wife out at BYU Hawaii and got sealed in the temple. We got three kids, live down here, have a few businesses. Life's good, you know, doesn't mean life's perfect. Like still deal with health and, and struggles and trials. And, but ultimately, life today, is looks a little different. Than it looks it a little different. <laughs> you know, and like I feel day. exactly. I feel so blessed. I feel sometimes I feel like survivor's guilt because I have buddies who have passed away 
Yeah. And I was doing more drugs than them. And I all have those fleeting moments, especially when we like lose somebody yeah. in our, in ARP. Which has yeah. Which has happened. And I'll find myself. I had a sponsor over at my place yesterday doing a step four and five. And like, I find myself, I, I'll pinch myself like, dude, like, how did I, how did I build this life that I have now Yeah, from where I was at? And, and my, and my relationships have been restored with my family. Like, yeah. And that's the most, not, not just the, like the you stopped doing something, but not only that, but life is like amazing. Like the relationships really are better. Yeah. Like, like there's my word is my bond. Like if I tell someone I'm going to do it, like I do it. Like I strive to be honest in business. Like we, it's just, I'm a completely different person now. That's literally through the 12 steps. It's through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And it's through working, just working the program and staying consistent. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes you look at it, like put yourself in like the mindset of a newcomer who's like, how am I going to get there? And I used yeah. to think that too. I used to be in an early on in AA meeting, a guy picks up like 10 years or 30 years. Like, how in yeah. the world? I'm like, first off, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, that's like, one. This guy's totally lying. Yeah. And then like, and then you're like, dude, ten, like what? And then it's just like, the truth is I, I just keep showing up and going to meetings and I, and I keep, checking in with dudes like you and my sponsor and and i sponsor guys and we just do the deal and that's and, what and that's the magic keeps you keeps you there totally line. i think there's a part in in everyone's story and there, it's an interesting question to ask but it's like was there a point in your story like at what point were you like okay this is becoming a problem like mm -hmm. this is problematic and it, it's always funny to ask this because like later on you look back and you're going I was so far into it and I had no idea, you yeah. know, it's like the problem didn't have, I didn't have a problem. The problem had me. Like yeah. I've yeah. Heard yeah. People talk about that. Yep. When was that point for you when you're like, okay, dude, this is, this is getting out of control. When I first came home and I like, my surgery was super fresh, you know, like if you've had surgery, that feeling of like right after surgery, like you just feel sick and you're in yeah. pain and you're whatever. So when I'm taking pain meds at that point, it's just, it's just literally cause I'm in a, physically I'm in a really you, bad there's place. A need, there's yeah. a need, right? And then kind of as you like the kind of shooting pain goes away and like whatever. And then I think for me, it was just that feeling of like one day I took pain meds and I think things were, I was at odds with my parents or whatever, or the feelings I had from going to church and people, when are you going back? Or, you know, what's going on? Why are you home? And, and I took pain meds and just realized all that like kind of silenced in my head. Yeah. That was like the first time I was like, oh, like. These things are, you know, I, I literally looked at it as almost like a blessing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it, like, and it heals not only like the yeah, physical pain, physical, but like emotionally like, like emo or some of these yeah. challenges with my relationships. Suddenly, like, I'm okay or I'm comfortable. Or totally. And that's how it started. But I think very, very quickly, I could tell, like, because you start taking them regularly, then your body, like, physiologically is like, hey, you need this, yeah. right? And that happened happened pretty quick, to be honest. Like probably within, I don't know, a month. And that know? tolerance builds as yeah, well, right? Like, so I mean, at that point, the tolerance was still very in its infancy, right? Yeah. Comparison to where I ended. But it was more just like my brain and, and my body just like, you need these like you need water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's when it switched. Like you have to have You that. have to have them. And the first time the doctor told me like, why do you need pain meds? Like your your wound is healed. And I'm like, my, my brain wasn't like, oh, that makes sense. My brain was like, who do you know where you can go get some pain meds, right? And when I crossed that boundary, I remember, and we laugh about this. I know you've heard this story, but I went to my mom, right? And my, <laughs> I love the story. And I go to my mom and, and I'm like, and I'm like, mom, I, I, these pain meds, they've really got a hold on me. <laughs> I, I think I need some help. My family hadn't dealt with this really. Like my mom has never taken a drink or a drug in her life ever. Right. Sweetest lady. And she literally said, well, maybe we should sign you up for a good activity like tennis lessons. Tennis lessons. Tennis gonna, lessons was going to be my solution, solution, right? 
So we now, my sponsor loves that I story. Love that. I and love that story. Yeah, and, he, and she's just, my mom's like the sweetest, nicest lady. So I remember, dude, after that, there's this like famous, not famous, kind of renowned psychiatrist in our area, right? Who like a lot of families have, if somebody needed some help or whatever, they go see this guy. So he deals with a lot of members of the church, right? So he had kind of an understanding of the mission and all that stuff. We went and saw him yeah. and- and he went through like, we ended up spending two hours with him. I remember him at the end, we get up the front to pay and it was 800 bucks, right? Yeah. And like my family's fine financially, but $800 to, to $800. still, that's $800, yeah. right? And I remember feeling this like, just guilt of just like, what the heck? I've got this thing. And now my mom's cutting an $800 check so that I can see this doctor. And he didn't help me like. He, he prescribed me more drugs. Like his solution was not opiates, but he wanted Just to give different. me like other narcotics, right? Yeah. And he was well-meaning. I'm not saying that he wasn't, but inevitably, like I ended up going to treatment. I ended up going to detox and my family ended up putting probably all in. We probably, probably 20, 30 grand into me going into facilities and striving to get help. And they were doing everything that they could, right? So- I don't exactly know the moment, but I do remember that feeling of this is no longer for the physical pain. This is beyond that. This is for me. This is, this is, yeah, my physical pain was gone, but my, but my body and my brain were telling me I need these as much now as I did however many weeks ago. You have to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And which is an interesting point. And I've thought about my own story, you know, and I've, we've shared it on the podcast. I'm a recovering pornography addict. And and it's like, at what point did I remember? I remember there are boundaries that I crossed where I'm just like, I'll never do this or I'll never, mm. I'll never pay for pornography or I'll, you know, yeah. whatever. And then cross like the first time that that happened, I remember just being like feeling that kind of like crossing that boundary. There was like a barrier that had been broken. There was like another level of the addiction you get to. But even in those moments being like, ah, like I'd still say to myself, like, oh, it's a tendency. So I, I just have this little problem, little tendency. But I think once I got into the program and started hearing people share and and hearing other people's experiences who were kind of where I was at, finally it was to a point where I'm like, man, I started to identify with that. So like as far as identifying as an addict, the common questions that I hear is like, how do you know or how did someone get to that point? Like, right to where they know they're an addict? Like, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think the answer is in just step one, right? And the two things that it talks about is one, that you're powerless over whether it's drugs, pornography, sex, gam, whatever it is, you're powerless over it. And the second part is that, and your life has become unmanageable, right? For me, I absolutely, when I first like was introduced to the SEPs and I saw that, like I was absolutely powerless over drugs, over opiates specifically. And say, I had the same thing. You you talk about your boundaries, your things yeah. you're going to cross, same thing. I wasn't, I was never going to, my addiction started out with just Norcos and Hy- Vicodin, just the stuff yeah. that your normal doctor gives you. I was never going to go do the oxycodones or the oxycontinat. That was my first kind of boundary. And then my dealer didn't have any Norcos, but he had the other stuff, right? It's like, ah, I didn't want to do that, but okay. You know, yeah, and yeah. you just get it and you go do that. And then kind of my, anyways, I won't go into a bunch of graphic details, but bottom line, I had those same experiences of like boundaries where I said, I will never do this. Yeah. And I did it. So by the time I had, when I saw step one on the wall of an AA meeting, it was like hundred percent. I'm powerless. Like these yeah. things, every time, like I would. I had a doctor, a shady doctor that would give me a script and I even hit up one of my best buddies who's a straight shooting kid, never partied ever. And he, he would be my squirrel. He would, I gave him my bottle and I'd say, Hey, don't give me more than three of these a day. Right. Like, and then I'd be hitting him up at 11 o'clock. Hey, I got to come get a couple more for you. You know, like, so I was trying to, I was trying to do it on my own and taper and all stuff. And I just couldn't, I was completely powerless over it. So then, so that's easy. Yeah. The unmanageability is like, you look at my life, I'm literally denned up in my parents' house in a room watching Netflix and doing drugs all day, right? And I had 
this little business that I did on the weekends at the swap meet. And that's how I, and it actually did pretty well. And that's how I like paid for my addiction. Right. But all my money, like I'm a, I'm a 20 year old kid making 20 grand a month. Right. Like that's good. That's good money. And all of it went to my disease. That's it. It all went to fund my, my addiction. And so my relationship with all my friends, like my phone never rang. You know what I mean? Like nobody wanted and I grew up the social kid on the football team, you know, took the prom queen to prom, all the stuff, right? Had all the friends. And like my phone just stopped ringing. Like nobody wanted to be, I wasn't fun to be around. I didn't want to be around myself, so I didn't blame them, right? My, all my siblings, same thing. My parent, like nobody, I was a shell of who I was. So as far as unmanageability, my life was completely unmanageable. I didn't, it, it was so unmanageable. I didn't want to be alive anymore. So for me, if you're asking yourself like, hey, am I an addict? Am I addicted to this? First off, I think the question in and of itself might elicit yeah, the right response. Yeah, like yeah, if yeah. You have to ask if you have yourself, to ask that, yourself you're, you, you know, might be an addict. That's yeah. that's number one. And then number two, I would just go and look at that. Hey, am I powerless to X, Y, or Z? And is my life unmanageable because of it? And then the third option, if you don't get an answer out of those two, you know, whether it's I don't know if SA has this or not, but I know like AA, they have like their questionnaires. Yeah, there is a set of questions there in, the, in the white book. So yeah. I think that's another place you can, you can land to. And, and once again, I think if you're, if you're checking off at one or checking off at two and you, you know, it's just like, I think <laughs> you're trying to, se- thing, I think you're trying like, to sell uh, yourself that you're not, but I, the most important part, and this is what I tell anybody that asks me, especially my sponsees is like, I can't tell you you're an addict. Exactly. That has step one has to come with from within. I can tell you what I think, right? But but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it's it's admit that you of yourself are powerless to overcome your addiction. Your life has become unmanageable. It's not your sponsor told you, your mom, your wife, your doctor, your bishop. That's not what it's it's you of yourself. So it has to come from within. Yeah. And a lot of times by the time you get to that realization, it's like everybody's like, dude, we've known for months. Oh, they're like, yeah, years. Like, thank you. Like, thank you for finally getting there. Yeah. Like, it's obvious. Like, totally. we all know. There's a line that I really love, and, and it's um, from from the original program that I worked at, say, Sexaholics Anonymous uh, from the White Book, where it talks about coming to that conclusion and the, the line is, and their own enlight- self-enlightened interest must tell them this. Mm. It's like it has to come, come from, from you. Yeah. And you're the only one that can make that call. Because I think for me, when I have looked to other people to decide things for me, it creates a resentment. And that resentment can further drive my addiction. I think while... I've, I've seen people come into the program and that's good, like either court ordered yep. or a spouse is like, hey, get your butt in there. Or, And I think that initially that it's like, hey, it got you through the door. Totally. But at some point you have to get to that point yourself to where you're like, you know what? I got in here via X, Y, or Z, whatever. Yep. But now for myself. I, I'm, you know what? Yeah, I am an addict. Like this is accurate. I I'm, I'm all in. There does have to be that moment. And I think it is your own self enlightened self-interest has to get you there. Totally. I think what you just said happens probably more often than not. Meaning yeah. I think most people aren't coming in, like we say, or they say in the rooms, like on a winning streak. Right. And most Definitely. people aren't coming in on their own. A lot of times there's some sort of catalyst, right? They get what, caught if they're like pornography they get caught, or yep. adultery or something. They get caught or whatever, their spouse, a family member, doctor suggested court. Like I, I've had guys come in on court cards, like who literally, they weren't coming to a meeting the day before something happens, DUI, whatever it is, they come in and they're on a court card to start. But like you just said, that the key component doesn't matter what got you there. All that matters is that you make that transition and it comes from within. And all anytime that that's happened, like you see the change as yeah. it would, it's no different as if they had walked in the room themselves. I just, in my experience, I've been in the rooms now for a decade. 
I I haven't seen that a lot where yep. people people just like all right. their own volition or like, hey, I need help. Yeah, I'm I mean, coming. we it does happen. <laughs> it does. It I'm does. not saying it doesn't yeah. happen, especially like when we've gone and when we've gone and done like our speaking things in wards or whatever. Like people come up or people come come to the meetings and they they're just like, oh, I didn't even know this existed. Like there's a group of people like me, and so it does happen. Yeah, I just think a lot of times there's a catal- catalyst event that gets them there, and that's fine. Once again, doesn't matter what gets you there. It's it's in order to complete step one, it's kind of transformation where it comes from within. Like I need to be here because I'm powerless and my life's unmanageable. Yeah. And that event too can be, I think a lot, I've heard a lot of people share where like, that was a great blessing in my life Absolutely. getting caught or that, that moment of unmanageability got me here. Like in the, in the moment they're not feeling that No, <laughs> it's no their family's not, not feeling yeah. that, but that can be that rock bottom to where people can, can get started. I think one, and one question that I had, um, and just love to get your thoughts yeah. on is like, so moving forward, a lot of times I I will talk to people and it'll be like, okay, well, so like, when do you graduate? Like, when mm. do you, you know, you do love the 12 it. steps, it's like a 12 week program and then you're better. Right. <laughs> and then I, there's this element of like, okay, well, I, I get healed through this process, which is through the atonement of Jesus Christ, 100% yep. accurate. Like, yep. yes, you can 100% be, be healed. So in that, in that sense, like why, why keep referring to yourself as an addict or a recovering addict? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? This is a great one. And I, this one comes up a lot. And for me, I love that. When do you, when are you going to, when do you graduate? When do you graduate, do you graduate from therapy? I've <laughs> yeah. heard that a lot. Right. And it's like the best way response that I have is like somebody alive telling you I've endured to the end. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. cause the 12 steps, like, the 12 step in recovery is continuing to work the steps and to help others work the steps as well. That's the 12th and final step is you start walking other people through the steps and sharing, sharing the message of hope. That's the 12th step. So that's a lifelong endeavor. That's not, totally. you don't go do that with one person and then, and then it's over. Right. So to, to answer your question for me personally, I identify as a drug addict and whether you say in recovery or not, it, that, it, to each Either their way. own, doesn't yeah. matter. For me, when I say I'm a drug addict every week, that's just me re-identifying that I am still a drug addict. Like, yes, I haven't abused drugs since December 11th, 2012, right? Since the day before I got sober. However, I, if I let my brain or my disease or whatever say, hey, Xander, you've got this. Like, you've got You're this. Healed. You're healed. Like, cause I, Neil knows, like I, my neck fusion that I originally had came undone, right? So two years ago, just over two years ago, they had to cut me open from the back of my neck, put a cage in my neck and and put me back together. Right. And I literally, <laughs> that surgery was the first one they went in through the front, right? Yeah. So there was not as much muscle up there. The back, they cut all that tissue I literally felt like they cut my head off and screwed it back on. I know that sounds <laughs> insane. That's literally no, they, what it felt like, right? Do, yeah. Once again, I had to take some pain medicine for that procedure, but it was all monitored through my sponsor, through my wife. I took it as prescribed and got off of it, right? And But that doesn't mean I go to physical therapy three times a week still, right? Three times a week because I deal with all sorts of flare-ups, aches, pains. I like to play golf. If I get this like if I, if I start to believe that I have this thing or that I'm no longer an addict, then like I can start romanticizing like, oh, maybe you can take pain pills. Maybe you can like drink a, like a gentleman. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you can take pain pills like a normal person, right? So for me, I continue to identify as a drug addict as just like a simple reminder like, hey man, doesn't matter how much time you put between you, you and the bottle and abusing, you're still a drug addict. And don't, don't let your head, because slick, right? We learn about slick when you go into... If you go into treatment center, they talk about slick, that voice in your head that starts trying to tell you your disease wants you dead, man. Your disease wants you dead. If I let my disease start to tell me like, Xander, you got this. You can, you can, you can go take, yeah, you can take a pain pill like a normal person. Like you're in pain, had two neck surgeries. You know what I mean? Like I can listen to that. Like that I can sell, I I can get sold by that. that. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it's just like, Hey, every week I'm Xander. I'm a drug addict. That's just a simple Self-reminder, I'm working a step one again, remind myself, like, doesn't matter how much time, I'm still a drug addict. You Absolutely. Know? And that's been my same experience too. Like I, 
for me, I, somebody put it in meetings in a way that made a lot of sense to me where it's like, it's a reminder to me, there are certain places that I can't go or yeah. that I don't want to go. Totally. There are certain things that I live my life differently. Like for me, with pornography, it's like, it's everywhere. You get on the internet, just going about your business, it finds you. For me, I just have to be cautious. It's a reminder that I need to be cautious about what I'm doing. I have to be intentional. The same way as if I had a disease, if I had skin cancer, I probably would would view the beach a little differently. Totally. I would probably view being out in the sun differently. Even though my my cancer might be gone, I, I went through the, the process of yeah. having that chemo and, and right. remove all that stuff. That's gone. But I still am living in remission I love that. of of that cancer. Yeah. I just I just live my life differently. Maybe it's a different diet. So same thing spiritually. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not viewing pornography. Right. Like I'm not acting out on that the way that I used to do it. But I know that maybe certain a PG thirteen movie that's a little scandalous is not a big deal for a lot of people. Right. For me, I I just don't go there totally. because I have to live my life in a different way. I know that I have I've I love how the big book talks about it. I have an allergy yep. to lust in my instance, or and that can elicit a, a spiritual response, an obsession of the mind yep. to where suddenly I get kicked right back into that addictive nature and those cycles, and I can be right back where I was again totally. instantly. I'm, uh, I love, it's been said, you're further down the road, meaning like you've got maybe some time in sobriety, but you're just as close to the ditch yeah, as that, anybody that, else, yeah. man. Like, uh, that's the reality of it. And I think- it's been sobering to to see that 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 people with a lot of time like I've we've seen them go out yeah and and it's a reminder to me that that doesn't mean that doesn't equate to like I've got this Absolutely. and I can stop referring to myself as an addict so I love that and I think not only for me saying that to remind myself but also to identify for people who are coming into the program Absolutely. to where it's like hey man I'm still just as far as p- the potential. I'm just as close to the ditch mm. as you are. I found re- recovery. I'm 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 in that process, but it can be done. Like like you can get into a good spot, and and I think it it just puts you into that that pack. I love how you always say that. Put me I in love the just of the pack. being being yeah. in the middle of the pack. We're right. all in this thing together. Yeah. But that identification process for me is like that's how I stay in that pack, in the middle of the pack. Totally. I love that you brought up like it, we're just a few bad decisions away from going and you know what i'm saying yeah, get yeah. back into our disease like i like to think i'm for that and, and i probably am right but that's the truth like if i go on a streak of just like disconnecting from heavenly father from discon you know what i'm saying like yeah. i spiritually if i stop putting in the work like it's just a matter of time before i go pick up again it's easy for me to say hey i'm still a drug addict and that's literally how I, you know yeah. that's how i identify i don't say i'm a drug addict i say i'm still, still a, drug addict. a drug addict right And I think the other component you brought up that I love is if we were just, if we were in the meeting and we're, you know, we have a little bit of time or whatever, and you get a newcomer that comes in they're like, yeah, I'm an addict. I'm like, oh, I'm Xander. I'm, I'm cured. You know what I mean? I'm healed. It's like that person's like, oh man, like, Like how do I relate? How do I relate to that? Where like, if I'm a newcomer, I'm like, whoa, that guy says he's still a drug addict and he's got X amount of years. Like I'm going to go talk to that guy. Right. Yeah. So much of the program, as we both know, is it's just people giving away what was freely given to them. And when you come to the rooms as a newcomer, like, yeah, you have your sponsor, but you're also, man, you just like look at these guys that are before you that have time and have built these lives or whatever. And you're just like, man, I want to be like those guys. Right. And you just, and for us now, maybe being those guys a little bit, like sometimes we can feel like we get put on a pedestal and we don't like that. Yeah, and that's why, that. that's why I always just say like, I want to be right in the middle of the pack. Yeah, Corinne, she's out on a trip here, but I know she would say for her in the beginning, that was important for her to see as a spouse when she, we started going to the meetings together. She yeah. she said that in meetings where it's like, I needed to see you pick up chips. Like totally. for a minute, I kind of didn't like that because I felt it gave me a false sense of security picking yep. up trips, like yep. chips, like, oh, I'm, I'm good now. I got a year. I'm healed. Or five years, the brain, scientifically, they say that that's when the, your brain starts to come back together. <laughs> I love and, science, man. You know, and, but she's <laughs> like, so I, I didn't take them for a while, but she's like, look, I, I need to see you get it. Or when other people would get chips in the totally. meeting, these to celebrate these lengths of sobriety, she'd be like, it, it gives me hope that, hey, maybe my husband can be there. Right. But again, I, I think circling back around, 
to identifying it as an addict. It's just the type of thing where, from what I've seen and from what we've talked about, is it has to come from within. Yep. Your own enlightened self-interest must tell you that. Or a lot of times there's just so much unmanageability in life to where it's like you're kind of forced into a situation where it's like, man, it's hard not to admit that you're unmanageable, you know. I can speak for myself and I, I'm sure it's for you. It's the same thing. Like how, for how long did we try and minimize it? Totally. Or for how yeah. long did we try and battle in it's our heads? Like bad. it's not that bad or yeah, I use drugs, but I don't use drugs like that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> the comparisons like, are yeah, awesome. the comparison like, like, well, yeah, well, Ted Bundy, like, yeah, yeah. like that, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, it's, that's the disease. It's insanity. Right. I think people I've had guys who I've tried to sponsor and they've really struggled with saying like, I'm an addict or I'm yeah. an alcoholic or whatever their deal was. I, I honestly feel, and, and once again, I think that there can be a process to really figuring that out. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but I think that there, there becomes this place where almost it's a pride thing, right? Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, well, if I label myself as that, then that's who I am. Yeah. And that doesn't make sense because Christ has already died for my sins and he his atonement has already encompassed my addiction, right? He's So why do I need to identify this? I'm a son of God. I've had that conversation multiple times, right? Totally. And that is different from, hey, I'm really trying to figure out if I am an addict, right? It's more like, hey, yeah, I'm an addict, but I don't want to label myself that. And every time personally that I've seen that, and they we can't overcome it or they can't they can't get to that place where they can admit it and not have a problem identifying they don't stick around and they go back to their disease and hopefully their their story's not over hopefully they get another chance to come in but the truth is is like that this disease kills people yeah you know what i mean you might not get another you might chance. not get another chance and so that's why that's why we take this thing serious. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, ARP, like it's another program, cool club or whatever. And it's like, no, like this is my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is not first and foremost for my own recovery and my sobriety. And then second most is, is for, to help other people because I know what's at risk. Like yeah. I should be dead and people went to great lengths to help me. I want to go to great lengths so that we can help those around us. And we've had multiple people in our meeting pass away and people who have had sex addiction, yeah. right? Like yeah. people say, Oh, you know, how am I going to die from a sex addiction? It's like, well, because like you spiritually, you, you get to a place so bad and you mess your life up. Your life becomes unmanageable and you end up taking your own life or whatever. Yeah. Right. So don't think that it can't happen to you because you're a sex addict. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, totally. Anyway, like we've seen that. And it is a spiritual disease. Yeah. So anytime there's a spiritual disease, this solution, it can be kind of concluded is going to be a spiritual solution. Yeah. And that's what the program's all about. And doesn't and that's why Neil and I can attend a meeting. And while his disease is the way he manifests his addiction is different than mine, we're, we're both have the same Working spiritual. A similar we have, yeah, program, yeah, same we, program. Exactly. We have the yeah. same spiritual disease. The solution's the same, yep. although. Neil's might have been to pornography, might have might have been to opiates, right? It's just symptoms can be different, different. but the solutions are the same. And that's why I can listen to guys who are in recovery from pornography addiction and be like, "Yep, I identify yeah, exactly. completely with that because n- it's it's the exact same." Likewise, thing. just fill in the blank, whatever it is, totally. and it, it reads the same. It now with sponsoring same. guys, anytime somebody with a pornography a sex addiction comes to me to sponsor, I will temporarily sponsor them. But I always think it's way better to give them, you know, to have Someone them go to like you or somebody saying, because there's just different yeah. insights and and vice versa. I think if if a guy with an opiate addiction goes yeah, to Neil, I'd send them to Xander. Yeah, like, hey, go talk to Xander. Yeah. this is the just because guy. you got you got better insights. And I I had that experience lately where I was temporarily sponsoring a guy and things were coming up. I'm like, listen, like I you got to go get somebody with the same because I I know that. I'm not giving you what you need. And it's just because I don't know, right? Like yeah. it, that wasn't what I recovered from. So I don't have the better insights and nuggets that I know you'd be able to get. For with those nuances exactly. particular to, to that addiction. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of just some final thoughts as I'm thinking, as we're wrapping this up, self-identification there. I think while a lot of times maybe a situation 
get you into the meetings or it got me into the meetings or you opt in yourself, there has to come a point where it's like the lights click on and be like, you know what? I, I'm going to make this decision. I am an addict. I see it. I identify with what people are saying. I'm hearing these experiences and, and that's me. And that's really what I saw when I came into meetings. And I, I went into meetings with the idea like, oh, I just have this little problem I need to take care of. Yep. And I'll get back out there and go back to my life. But as I heard people share, I just, I'm like, man, this is me. You know, originally I came in, I'm like, I'm nothing like these people. I'm like better than these people. These are like the whatever. I just had all these preconceived notions of what an addict was or what they looked like. But I quickly identified and just said, man, this guy is, is just in my head and is speaking my language. And, and this is me. And yes, I do have a problem and I need to address it. And then boom, I was in a place where I could get the solution. So I mean, I think they talk about one of the things early on that, that my sponsor said originally was like a step zero, which is just bring the body, just show up, get, yep. get there, get to the solution. And then the feeling will follow, bring the, bring the body and the feeling, take the action. The feeling will follow, show up like that from there. It's, it's get to work and do the steps, but I had to be the one eventually to opt in. Otherwise it was just, I wasn't going to be rigorously honest. I wasn't going to take an inventory Mm. of all of my wrongs. I wasn't going to try and make amends. Like these are big things that it's like, well, if I don't have a problem, why would I do all this stuff? Like, Why would I go to these lengths if I don't think I have a problem? So it all begins with that. And I think that's where that identifying as an addict got me to that place. And then continuing to identify an addict as an addict reminds me Mm. of where I need to be, but also gives me an opportunity to share with others and and share my experience, faith, and hope with other people. And I feel like uh, I love how there's a, another leader from another meeting who says that. It's like, it's look, it's not just about you getting better yourself and then right. failing. Right. It's like you get better so you can go and help other people, go serve and and be a voice for good and, and share with others, freely give what was freely given to you. Yep. And that's kind of what I've seen. But yeah, what are your, what are your final thoughts kind of wrapping up? Yeah, you... I mean, you wrap that up, took everything probably that I could say. I think most importantly is that in the 12 steps, they say like the only step that you have to work perfectly is a step one, right? And it's, it's, you have to get to that place where you got to get over that battle or war in your head, because if you can, then you'll never have to go back and say, ah, but am I, can I? Because we've seen it. We know, we personally know guys who 10 years have gone out and lost recovery and they've had the opportunity to come back, right? But a lot of times you're not going to get that opportunity. So step one is really important that you get to that place where you admit it of yourself. I think the other thing that I was thinking about when you were, when you were talking was there's a saying that says, Hey, what got you in the rooms isn't going to keep you in the rooms. And, and what that means is from a, like, let's go with a pornography addict's perspective is like, Hey, maybe you show up because you got caught looking at pornography and your marriage is now on the rocks. Okay. Well that, that you're, if you come, if you continue to come to the, the, the meetings and you work the steps like that, your marriage could all of a sudden not be on the rocks anymore. Right? Like initially it's like this, like almost triage, like, Hey, we got to treat, I got to do this right now so that I can, but that, Maybe I shouldn't have spoken up from a pornography addict. From my, well, no, from, that's true. That's yeah, totally but from accurate. from my perspective, from a drug addict, it's like, man, like I'm gonna die. I'm gonna literally. I'm taking so much opiates. Like uh, my my mom walks in the room and she like comes and listens to see if I'm still breathing. You know, like that's the place I was at. And so it's like this triage thing. But the pain of whatever's got you into those rooms will go away. And so you have to work the steps. You have to do other things that will keep you in the rooms and continue to go down the path of recovery, right? So that's the other part of it. And the identification thing, we've beat this thing in the, as much as we possibly could, but I love identifying every week. It's just totally. it's just one of those steps where it's just like, hey man, I need to remind myself every single week. Because guess what? Yeah, I'm still a drug addict, but I'm a lot of other things. Like, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a successful businessman. I'm an uncle. I'm a whatever mentor. I do a lot of other things that doesn't just define me. It is a big part of who I am, but that actually has 
helped me in all these other areas of my life. And I think that's where people a lot of times get caught up. They're like, oh, if I say I'm an addict, then I'm going to be labeled as an addict. And I can tell you, like, if you were to ask people around the area who have known me my whole life, they, a lot of them, I'm very vocal. So a lot of them know that I'm an addict and I'm in recovery, but a lot of other people would have probably a lot of other things to say about me because that's not just what makes me who I am. And that's not just who I'm going to be remembered for. Like it probably will be from the standpoint of working at 12 step and helping other people. But I really love being a businessman. I own multiple businesses. I love doing investments, love doing deals. We found success. Me being an addict isn't just what makes up Sander. I now do I now at the place that I'm at now, do I believe that it's really benefited or these other areas of my life? Absolutely. But I think it's important for new guys who are like struggling to identify that just because you identify that doesn't define you. Totally. Maybe is the best way to say it. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that's the fear that a lot of people it have is. is like, oh, now I'm gonna get stuck with this label and that means that I'm I'm less than as a person. Totally like, to the core. Totally. And it's it's quite Quite but yeah, what if exactly? What have you seen? Same as me. It's like I go and I speak in my ward, right? And I share my story in my ward or whatever. And the next thing I know, like, dude, when I go to church, like yesterday, I got a kid coming over after church to do a, a step four and five, which you know that's a few hour, Huge, three, yeah. four hour process, right? At church, this lady's son's getting kicked out of her house. The wife's kicking him out because of alcohol. So I need to. So bottom line, it just me coming and being open about being in recovery and being a drug addict has just given me so many opportunities to serve and continues to do so almost on a daily basis. And so it's just like, I understand in the initial phase, like you're just like, this is going to be a label that's put on my back that I'll never get rid of. Right. But really that's not true. And ultimately you'll actually love the label because once you have recovery, people are going to look to you for like, Everyone's dealing with stuff. Addiction's affecting everybody and their family. So people are looking for people to help out. And if you get into recovery from an addiction like Neil and I had, like you have a very specific skill set that you can go share and people need that. Like I love the work that we do. I love serving with you, dude. I love the impact that we're able to have. Like it's real. We're in the trenches and like we get to see some really cool stuff. We also unfortunately have like had some casualties and i know that sounds grandiose it's the truth we've yeah, had I mean, people in our meeting yeah, who have that are got, not with us that are not with anymore. us and, and um and i think that that's been a big realization for both of us i can speak for myself for sure where it's like that's why when i get a call or somebody i don't take things lightly i i i take it serious because i know what's at risk so totally anyway. and i and i love that i mean i love what step 12 does for a, someone's program. Like, totally. and I think of what you just said about service and helping others and those opportunities, because you're identifying that creates those opportunities for me. And, and I'm, I'm imagining it's the same for you. Like that keeps me sober. That Absolutely. keeps my, my program sharp. It forces me to, because as I'm talking about the solution with other people, I'm saying that to myself and I'm like, man, where am I at? And it's, it's causing me to stay, I stay in the solution. And that's the beauty of step 12. Thinking of it, step one, that identification process, but then step 12, that that keeps you, because of that identification, that allows you to help other people, yep. which keeps you sober and keeps you in recovery. And not only that, just for yourself, but is is a blessing to so many other people. I totally. think of, of you and, I mean, people in this area, like you're known for someone who's just a, been so helpful and just such a big resource to so many people. And I know like there's no ego in that whatsoever. It's just like, that's just the fact, but how cool. And when we get to the other side, that's really what I think is going to matter. Totally. I I think, I think of that so much. And so it's just really cool. Yeah. And I, and I end with this, like I said, I like business. I like doing that stuff. My sponsor yesterday, he's trying to figure out kind of what he wants to do with life, right? Like I want to, I want my work to be meaningful. And I, and I share with people, it's like, look, like I don't necessarily think that my businesses are necessarily meaningful. I think people could make an argument for that, but my businesses are what allows me to free up, to be able to provide for my family, free up my time to go do the work that I do feel is really meaningful. And that is recovery. Like my 
Corinne says it, you know, we, everything else we do, like there's a guy down here named Gary. He says, he says, Hey man, your family, your recovery, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Everything else is just keeping balls in the air. And I love that. Right. It's like, anyways, I love, I love the work that we do. And that's where I say, Hey, I didn't come into the rooms to help other people. Right. That's not what got me in the rooms, but that's sure as heck what's keeping me there. And that's sure as heck what's keeping me identifying is, Hey, I'm Xander. I'm still a drug addict and I'm here to rock and roll with you if you're ready to rock and roll. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So cool. Well, we always ask if people want to follow along with you, do you have any social media? Oh yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) I, uh, the real Xander Clark on Instagram, it's going to be, it's going to let you down a ton. It's just (laughs) me and I post stuff with my family. So I'm not like a big social media guy, but the real Xander Clark, if you want to follow me. So very cool. Yeah. Um, And then just the question Corinne always asks at the end, I have to ask this. If there's one message that you could, would be a takeaway for somebody who's listened to this episode, what Mm. would that one message be? Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. No matter no matter how many times you try and fail, like keep fighting. There is a solution. Like Heavenly Father is still waiting with arms open and and just don't give up hope. Because I think this look, if this wasn't difficult, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But this is overcoming an addiction, getting into recovery from addiction is incredibly just don't give up hope and keep trying keep coming back well thanks so much sander thanks for having me on today this has been just gold so awesome and we'll leave some resources in the show notes if you think you might be an addict or your yeah your loved one might be an addict to where you can find help and get to the solution awesome Uh, thanks sander thanks neil all right thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.